Daniel 1, we, we were talking about last week, uh, we talked about determination. And, uh, and it's an interesting character quality when we consider it, uh, because there's a difference between determination and ambition. And I think sometimes a lot of Christians get themselves in trouble based on ambition. And, uh, you know, and there are things to be ambitious about, for sure. But when we're, if we're not careful and we don't temper that, our ambition can lead us either ahead or even outside of God's will, many times in good things. But determination, I'm going to use a, a, a word for, for the way we're trying to look at it in the Scriptures, uh, a, a near kin to that word could be conviction. Now, sometimes, uh, uh, I don't know who gave this definition to the word conviction, but someone once said, a conviction is something you're willing to die for. And I don't know who gave that definition, <laughs> because there's some things I got some convictions for, but I'll tell you what, if you hold a gun to my head, uh, you know, there are some things that I may uh, be okay with, okay? <laughs> that that kind of changes it. Um, uh, you know, and, and I'm talking about, you know, some, some things that are not necessarily sin, but some people are like, I've got a conviction about this. Oh, really? You know, and you put it to a test, and all of a sudden, oh, I didn't, I didn't think you did, okay? Um, but, uh, but anyways, the determination is taking uh, a direction you know God wants you to go in, and you go there. You know, uh, Paul said, uh, talked about how none of these things move me, all the negativity, all the things that we're trying to deter him. Uh, neither account I my life dear to myself, that I may finish my course with joy. And he said that with such boldness. He talked about being whipped and talked about being stoned and talked about all the things that Paul went through. He said, none of these things move me. And I tell you what, I don't know if I'm that spiritual. Some of those things might move me a little bit. Okay. And, uh, but he said, these things won't move me. Why? Because he was determined with a God-given conviction of what God, the, the race that God had for him. Okay. Uh, very similar stuff he said in uh, Philippians. Uh, forgetting those things which are behind. Looking forward to the things that are before, I, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The prize of that, uh, that high calling. And so, uh, so there's a conviction there that he wasn't going to be deterred. Now, of all the people, Paul just amazes me because it was almost like persecution was the mark that he was in God's will. I mean, uh, what, what, a, what a crazy uh, life Paul had, you know, it's, at one point, he even says, uh, you know, basically was describing, he didn't know what was ahead, but he said, one thing I know is persecutions are waiting for me. <laughs> I know there's some tough things ahead. I think of people like Job, right? Completely in God's will. And look at the suffering and the difficulty he went through. And so many times when we talk about things like determination, we're going to look at rewards and some of those, but I'm going to kind of take a, a surprise turn after we look at a couple of examples here. But I'm going to look at just some Bible examples of determination. Look at Daniel 1. Of course, uh, you should be familiar with the story of Daniel. Uh, Daniel and several of the, the Hebrew boys were taken into captivity by Babylon, and, and basically they found the, the brightest and the best of the young men, and they said, we're going to train you, we're going to teach you in our customs, in our language, in our schools, and, uh, and we're going to make Babylonians out of you yet. Okay? So much so that they actually gave them Babylonian names. And... Um, uh, you know, we, we're familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are all their Babylonian names, uh, not their Hebrew names. Daniel's the only one that we intend to know and quote based off his Hebrew name. And, um, but, uh, but look at verse number 8. Uh, they're, they're each assigned to some... Uh, well, let's go ahead and read verse number 8. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he, was, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs 
that he might not defile himself. So there was a guy in charge who oversaw the eunuchs, of which Daniel and those other three Hebrew boys were part of. And, uh, and what they were trying to do, before they could go before the king, they wanted to fatten him up. <laughs> they wanted them to look healthy, and uh, they don't want to look sickly or anything. You know, they want to look healthy and strong before they stand before the king. Well, that meat and the wine, uh, it, was a, it was a breaking of the conviction that Daniel had. And he had purposed, now, you know, this is interesting, but Daniel purposed in his heart. I believe that purposing and that uh, conviction was something that predated this captivity. In other words, he didn't have to wait till a trial came along. He already knew what he believed. He already knew what he stood for. And even though he's now in a, a pagan land, and, and, and from their perspective, they could even see, think, think God's forgotten them, God's abandoned them. What, what, are, they going, what are they going through? Daniel says, uh, I'm still going to be faithful to God. Now, now think about this. This is amazing. He's taken from his home, taken from his parents, taken from his land, uh, to a place he doesn't know their language, doesn't know their culture, doesn't know their custom. How many of us would say, well, fooey on God and all his rules? <laughs> right? He didn't take care of me. They haven't helped me up to this point. But he had some convictions. He purposed in his heart. So you know the story. He, he did what many of us called the Daniel fast. I want to say this about the Daniel fast. is Daniel did not fast for health. Okay? And so, oh, it's a great way to lose weight. Okay, that was not Daniel's goal, okay? And in fact, when, now, when he was done with those, I believe it was 10 days, uh, he was fatter and healthier than the others. Okay? That was God taking care of him. All right? So he stood before the king, and, uh, and I love what, what, the, what the king's assessment of, for sake of time, we'll kind of fast forward. Uh, verse number, let's look at, uh, uh, let's look at verse number 19, uh, verse number 18, at the end of the days, that the king had said he should bring them in. Then the prince of the eunuch brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all manners, uh, matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers uh, that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even to the first year of King Cyrus. So here's the awesome thing. Not only did, did God you know, take care of him, and uh, you know, at this point, this could have been uh, that, 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 uh, that eunuch, or even Daniel, this could have been their head, okay, if, if they didn't do what the king really wanted them to do, and that was fatten them up. So God made them healthy, but God also blessed them with great wisdom. Uh, now, we can look at, you know, probably their upbringing, probably some good uh, uh, parenting there and, and some of those kind of things, but the reality is God blessed them. And as they stood, these godly young men stood before the king, out of all the advisors around them, they looked at these boys that, that, that uh, pretty much every, um, uh, every uh, uh, Bible student agrees that they were about late teens, right? Just before coming into adulthood, so to speak. And to stand before, you, you think about who does the king, or who should a king, surround himself with? The best of the best, right? And uh, when it comes to military matters, I want someone with experience, I want a general, I want, you know, when it comes to economics, I want the biggest nerd I can find, right? <laughs> I, want, I want the best of the best, right? And so, he, so these three, these four boys stand before him, he's like, wow, you guys are incredible. 
you guys are so much better than all these other guys I've surrounded myself with. Ten times better, in fact, was his assessment. All right? So God, of course, blessed his determination here. And uh, let's fast forward to chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar was having an issue with his ego. So he builds a giant statue in honor of himself. And he commands everybody that when the music plays and that everyone's going to bow down, and what are they going to do? They're going to worship this. All right? This is a step beyond just being respectful of the king. This is a step beyond just saying, yeah, you know, you should honor, give honor to whom honor is due. Uh, this is saying, you guys need to worship me as God here on earth. Okay? And this big statue represents me. And uh, so an amazing thing happened, and you guys know the story. I've always pictured it like this, okay? You guys ever been to a sports game, and they do the wave that goes around, right? I always picture it like this. Music plays, and from the statue on outward in the kingdom, you just kind of see people bowing down. And then there's three people that are just standing. That would stand out like a sore thumb, just like at the games. When someone doesn't do the wave, you see it, right? The one person who doesn't participate out of 30,000, and, uh, and you see it. And I just see these guys standing. And now I think to myself, there wasn't only three Hebrew boys. Why, why did not other of the Hebrews, and by the way, who are the Hebrews? God's people, right? They're still God's people at this point. Um, why, why did no one else stay standing? There was something in these young men that had a conviction, a determination to do what's right, and I love what they say. So it says this, um, uh, verse number 8, Let's uh, Daniel 3, let's start in, uh, I guess, verse 8. Wherefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man uh, that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worship that, he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews... Now notice, he, he points out who they are. He didn't just say, there's, there's a couple guys. No, certain Jews. Remember, we hate those guys. Okay, And you're going to see that it just as a consistent theme. Now, now, the king promoted these guys. But he said, there's certain Jews. Well, they, the, the, the Chaldeans, they, they hated these Jews. And, uh, and so he said, there's certain Jews who came, uh, thou, uh, that thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought them, uh, these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do, uh, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, at what time ye hear the sound? So he gives them another chance, and I believe it's because they had favor. He could have killed them right there. Right? The decree was clear. You're supposed to bow down. He could have killed them right there, but the, they had favor, I believe. And so it says, Now, if you be ready, at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, uh, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made uh, well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, get this challenge. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? So now this guy's challenging God. That changes the whole thing, right? 
Remember when David was, uh, came to bring the lunch to his brothers and he heard this Philistine shouting all kinds of blasphemies at the Lord's army? He's defying, I mean, he took it so personal, he's defying God. He's not just standing against us, he's defying our God. Very similar here, he's defying their God. Who is that God that'll deliver you out of my hands? He told you, he's on an ego trip, right? First the idol, now this. Verse 17. Now here's where the determination, uh, or verse 16, the determination kicks in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know what they're saying? Their mind's made up. Their mind was made up before they chose to stand. Their mind was made up as they were walking to this place. Now as princes, as, as, as uh, rulers, if you would, over the areas, uh, I'm sure they had to be there. So they'll show up. They'll be there. But they're not going to break their conviction. They're not going to break their determination to do what is right. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We are determined to do what's right. If it be so, I love this, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. So that, that's where it starts. They've got this, they just know, hey, if God wants to deliver us, He can do that. But what's even more powerful is the second half of the statement. Uh, or, or, or the next verse, actually. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Hey, God can deliver us. But if he doesn't, that doesn't change anything. You see, I think too often we kind of look at issues in the Christian life and we'll say, well, if I do this, then God will do this and everything's going to be great. No, no. Conviction is just, here's what I have to do, period. Here's what God expects of me, period. And, uh, and, and you know, we, we can look at these things and we're like, wait a minute. You know, I, you know we, we read the story, so it's like, yeah, let's have the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But how many of us would have the faith not knowing the end of the story? But if not, I can just hear whoever the spokesperson was for the three of them. But if not, O king, we'll still not bow. And I can see one of them, maybe the least spiritual of the group. But if not... You said God was going to deliver us. And now you're saying, but if not. And of course, we know the story. God delivers them. There, Jesus shows up in the fiery furnace. And, uh, and what an awesome, awesome story of God's deliverance. Um, but what about when determination costs you something? Or let me say it this way. What if the but if not happens in the determination? Let's turn back to Genesis uh, 39 real quick. But if not. Because, you know, every one of us are faced with choices, dilemmas. By the way, I don't know if you, uh, if you are on the same page as I am, but I believe time's coming to an end. I believe time's coming to an end. I believe that trumpet can blow at any moment. And let me just say this. We do not know how bad it's going to get before the Lord raptures us out of here. I think some people have this idea in their mind that, that before any persecution comes, God's going to rapture us out of here. Hold on a second. There's been persecution every single generation since the time of Christ. Okay? There's always been persecution. We've just been so blessed to live in a free country. And, uh, and it may hit here bad. I mean... It may be, you know, 
first and second century Rome here in America. It may. And, and, and so many people are going to say, Lord, when are you going to blow the trumpet? And he says, when it's time. But I think we have to be prepared to stand. And so it's very easy to be tempted to think, you know, to think, I just, I just got to be faithful and everything's going to be wonderful. No, no. Sometimes faithfulness might cost you something. I think about the tribulation martyrs who love not their life even unto death. And really all martyrs that fall into that category, but specifically in Revelation, it was talking about those guys. And, uh, and you know, I think about through the years, some of these guys, Tyndale gave his life trying to get the Bible into the English language, burned at the stake by the Catholic Church. And, and so many others uh, uh, just standing for what's right. I think about people that died simply because they didn't believe in infant baptism. I think about John Calvin. There was a story one time when he had a disagreement with a guy over the Lord's table, communion. He had that guy taken and burned at the stake in the middle of the town square over a disagreement on one of the ordinances. Okay? Um, so I'm saying there's little things, there are big things, but these guys, every one of them loved not their life even to death. They wanted to follow the Lord on, on, on all these issues. That's determination. That's conviction. I just said conviction is something you'd die for, and I just proved that point, okay? That's conviction. So <laughs> um, I want to show you something. We all, we all know the story of Joseph, but look at uh, Genesis 39 and verse 7. Came to pass that after these things, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, and she said, "Lie with me." That 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 uh, that temptress woman that Proverbs speaks so much of. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, "Behold, my master, uh, what is not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all things into my hand." Now Joseph's amazing. He'd already had a pretty rough time so far, and how and God blessed his hand. God blessed him, and, and in turn, uh, the, his master saw that God was with him, so he said, Joseph, why don't you just take control of all my affairs? And God blessed his master's house. So now the master's wife is one of those that's just attracted to power, uh, or whatever the situation is, and she sees Joseph, wow, everything he does is blessed. You know, that's wonderful. So she's, she says, you know, come and, and, and lie with me. Be immoral with me. And, and um, he refused, verse 9. There is none greater in all this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how can I do this great wickedness? Now get this, and sin against God. We, are, we now have a glimpse into Joseph's heart. What was the issue? The issue wasn't, well, I might get caught by the master. The issue was, I have a conviction that I'm going to live my life for God. And anything that gets in the way of that, the answer is no. Right? Uh, he's already made up his mind. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. We already know where we're going to stand on this thing. Joseph's the same way. How can I do this and sin against God? Not sin against my master. Not sin against this woman. But sin against God. In fact, that's what David prayed. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this wickedness. And I was like, wait a minute. I can list a lot of people that were wronged in David's sin. But he said, against thee and thee only. That's the first place that we ought to start. It's not a matter of, I got caught. It's not a matter of, well, what are people going to think? And really, it's not even a matter of who else am I going to hurt. Really, a real pure-hearted conviction is this. What does God think? What does God think about it? So, here's what happened. 
It came to pass, verse 10, as she spake to Joseph day by day, every day she's doing this, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. By the way, remember the ridicule that Mike Pence got saying, I will not ride in a car alone with a woman who's not my wife. I'm not going to go on a business trip and all that kind of stuff. You know, we need to get back to some old-fashioned conviction like about these things. You see, um, I don't take, I don't, I don't counsel women alone in my office. I just don't. Uh, not because I think I'm going to slip up like this, but, but just because of appearance. Just because, you know, and already there's something that's just fishy going on here. And, and, and the Bible makes a very clear point. There were no men in the house. There's no one else. Okay? So already we're kind of going down a very dangerous place. It came to pass about this time. Uh, verse 12. And she caught him by his garment. I can just see her hiding out behind a wall. And she jumps out, grabs his garment, saying, Lie with me. And, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he left his garment in her hand, and was fled forth, that she called the men of her, of, of her house, and spake unto them, saying, See how he brought the, uh, uh, hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. Now this one's interesting because Joseph looks as guilty as sin, Right? But you know what was intact was his integrity. What was intact was his heart before God, his determination. Now, here's the interesting thing about Joseph, and I'm not going to take the time to go there, but you can, you can read through. Of course, he goes to prison. God kind of elevates him in the prison. But, I, but there was a little bit of a, you know, every time you read Joseph, he really responds right in pretty much every situation. But you can almost see this little root of trying to defend himself at one point when he interprets the dreams. And he says, hey, will you guys remember, uh, he says to the, um, was it the, the butler was the one that was killed. Uh, it was the other guy. He was the baker. Uh, the baker was killed. Excuse me, the butler. <laughs> the baker was killed. Uh, who was the other guy? The what? Coat bearer, is that what he's called? Yeah, I'm sorry, I should, uh, uh, the cup bearer, thank you, yeah. Uh, um, the the cup bearer. Um, and he tells him, he says, he says, hey, Remember me. I was wrongly put in here, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, this is the first time that Joseph really like tries to defend himself. Hold on, Joseph. God's taking care of you. You see, but he's in a dark place. Literally, he's in a dungeon. Okay, and uh, and it's difficult. But 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 here's here's another point that I want to bring out is here's a guy that fell into the situation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Though, but if not, you see, he did what was right. God did not deliver him immediately in that moment. You see, and sometimes we, we, we look at it again. Uh, well, if I do this, then will God do this? It doesn't matter. Does God want you to do this? The first thing. This is a determination. This is a conviction. What are we going to do? And, of course, you know the story. God is gracious and faithful, and he elevates Joseph. Um, but what if God leads you to do something that just ends in failure? Turn over to, to Judges 20. This is the last place we'll turn tonight. Judges 20. What, if, what do you do when God leads you to failure? 
this is a really interesting portion of Scripture. There was really a divide within Israel. And um, look at uh, verse number 18. The children of Israel rose. Let you, let you give you a second turn there. Uh, Judges 20, verse 18. The children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of the Lord and said, Which of us shall go up to battle against the children of Benjamin? Now, who is Benjamin? Anybody? Yeah, but, but, but in, in the context where we're at right now, it's one of the tribes. Israel is going to fight against one of their tribes. Interesting situation we have here. So they arose and they said, which one is going to go to battle? Now get this now. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Who said who's going to fight for battle? God said, and he said, Judah's going to go first. God said, go. God didn't say, no, I don't want you fighting. You're, you're, the, you're the same family. You're the same, you're, 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 it's your people. He said, Judah's going to go. And the children of Israel rose up in the morning and encamped against uh, uh, Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came out forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day 20 and 2,000 men. God said, go up and fight. They went and fought. 22,000 men died doing what God said to do. Now we'd look at that and say, wow, that's a failure. What did we miss here? God said to do something, they obeyed, and they fell on their faces. This is kind of interesting. 20, verse 22, And the people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves. They need to. They were down. They, they, they just lost a bunch of people. A lot of dads were not coming home. A lot of husbands were not coming home. They set their battle again in array in the place where they had put themselves in array the first day. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord even or until even and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, get this now, go up against him. Second time now, God said, go. Go fight Benjamin. And the children of Israel came near again to uh, uh, the children of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went forth against them out of uh, Gibeah the second day and destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel 18,000 men, all that drew swords. They've lost 22,000. They've lost 80,000. We are now up to 40,000 of the children of Israel died. Going against, going against Benjamin, doing what God told them to do. Is this odd? Look at uh, verse 26. Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up, came to the house of God and wept, and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And, uh, and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before in those days, saying, 
shall I yet go out to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? And that was the first time they asked, should I stop? And the Lord said, get this now, go up. But this time with a promise. For tomorrow I will deliver them into thine hand. And Israel set liars to wait uh, uh, round about Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin to the third day and put themselves in array against Gibeah as the other times. Let's jump ahead to verse number uh, 43. Thus they enclosed the Benjamites round about and chased them and trod them down with ease. It was an easy victory over against Gibeah toward the sun rising. And there fell of Benjamin 18,000 men, all that were men of valor. And they turned and fled away to the wilderness and so forth, and they were on the run. What an incredible story. Three times until God gave a victory. 40,000 men killed. But they kept going forward. And every time doing what God wanted them to do. And then eventually God gave the victory. Um, for those of you listening to my podcast, I did a, a, a little study in this and kind of shared my testimony a little bit. And um, my testimony, uh, the first church I pastored, we ended up closing it. After, uh, after the church had been in existence for seven years, I came on as, a, as an assistant pastor around two years, and uh, we were part of that church for five years. And, um, and following the Lord's leadership, we closed the church. I don't have time to go into it, but God, God gave incredible confirmation. He said, I'm closing this, and, uh, and uh, gave some wonderful passages. The next week, I was a guest preacher in a church, and the next week I was on staff somewhere. I didn't even miss a beat. All right? God just opened doors, and we just kept going forward. But the very first church I pastored, it just like failed. Okay? Humanly speaking. There were a lot of, lot of dynamics with that. It's when the recession hit. We lived in a resort community. Everyone's moving away. You know, There are all kinds of stuff that was going on with that, but, uh, but the reality is it looks like a failure. So we go to the next place, I, another church plant. We're working with them. We came on board about their two-year anniversary, just like the last one. And uh, we were helping them out. We helped start a music ministry and a choir, and uh, they started a Bible institute. And uh, it really is a thriving ministry. And to this day, it's, it's just been growing. And, uh, and we were there for about, I'd say about eight months before things really started getting difficult between... Uh, uh, really the pastor and myself. It was, it was a really rough time. And, uh, and they kind of stopped paying me. Now, this was in the city of San Diego. It's not a cheap town to live in. So you start missing a couple paychecks. I remember going to the pastor, do you, do you want me here? And he's like, I just want what the Lord wants, brother. I'm like, that's not an answer. <laughs> so I had to pack up things and just, you know, it was one of those things like, we just got to get out of Dodge. We got, you know, and I just put all on the credit card, let's get out of here. And, uh, and uh, we just moved the whole family in with my parents and just tried, tried to reset. Like, what, what do we do now? And uh, so the Lord led us to go be a part of a church just, uh, just as a, a layman and, and just uh, work a job and, 
uh, served as a, as a Sunday school teacher. And I remember just praying and fasting. And like, Lord, what do you want me to do? God almost opened a door in uh, Pennsylvania. There was a church there. And, uh, and it looked like this was going to be a done deal. My wife and I actually started praying against it. Lord, close this door if this is not your will. And just out of the blue, it was amazing. One of the men on the pulpit committee uh, just changed his mind about me. And, uh, and so much so that one of the other men, he, he kept texting me. He's like, this isn't right. You're supposed to be the guy. And, and I said, just, just follow the leadership. It's going to be all right. You know? But uh, God answered is what, what happened. And I was praying, and uh, I think I did a 15-day fast, and the Lord opened the door for us to go uh, take a church plant in, um, uh, in the high desert in Southern California. And we were there for three years. And, uh, and the church was healthy. We, we turned it over in a healthy state, and the church is still going today. But, uh, but after those three years, there were some issues with my wife and her health, and I uh, don't want to get into all the details, but she basically almost died. And... Uh, and God had to get my attention saying, you need to look at your family. You need to learn how you're leading them. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, how can I? I was like, am I just going to fail forever? And is this, you know, I'm looking at this. I, I did what God wanted me to do in the first church. I know God confirmed over and over again. I did what he wanted me to do. And uh, then the second church following and just being a help and a blessing. And, a, and I'm content being an associate. I didn't have to be the lead guy. I'll just follow and be a part of it and be a blessing. I, I did what I believe God wanted me to do, and it closed. Then the next place, uh, you know, I mean, it didn't close. We, the door closed, and we, had, we left. And Then I go to the next place, and uh, things were going good. I mean, before we left, I remember we had a high Sunday of 120, and things were going well, and, and, uh, and then it was almost in one day, everything was taken away. The landlord sold the house out from under us. Um, there was a church split. And, and it seemed to be of the church split, all the tithing members left. <laughs> it was in a poor community, and all that was left was really the welfare uh, families. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? And uh, so now, you know, even if I found another place, I don't have an income. Three things, gone, just like that. And I remember sitting down with an old preacher, and he said, if God was going to move you out of there, what would it look like? <laughs> well, it would need to kind of smack me upside the head, because I am determined what we're talking about, right? And I'm going to see this through. And none of these things move me, like, like Paul. I'm like, this isn't going to move me. I'm, I'm, this is where God wants me. And he said, what if God's moving you? And uh, I had to stop and listen to what he had to say. What do you mean, what if God's moving you? And see, it wasn't even on my radar. And he said, look at your wife. Look at your children. Are you, are you balanced? Are you taking care of things? I hate when people are right. So I... Uh, Turned the work over to a, to a good church nearby and um, who was able to fill the pulpit. We had a Bible college and we were able to help out there. And, and, uh, and they found a good pastor. In fact, he and I have become good friends. And um, took a year furlough. I just, I, God put on my heart, you need to be out for a year. And just focus on your family, your wife, get her health going. And... Uh, at right on a one-year mark, a man comes up to me and says, you know, there's a church in North Pole looking for a pastor. And I've been praying and asking God, why, why did you bring Aaron to Alaska? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know. We'll see, let's see. It's a year, so I told God a year. There was, in that time, there was another church that said, hey, we'll bring you on full, full-time staff. Let's do this. And I said, talk to me in a year. 
And uh, I said, uh, I said, God wants me out for a year. But I asked the Lord, shall I go up? Shall I go up and fight? And God gave the green light, go up. And, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just amazing when you, when you look at this. Every step of the way, anyone else, you know, would be afraid to share these stories. Anyone else is like, you shouldn't talk about that. You look like a big failure, right? I mean, I mean, three years in Malawi, really, brother? What happened? You failed? No, you gave three years to God on the mission field. That's what you did. And by the way, if we had more, think about it. Mormons, they do two years. Wonderful. Think about our military. You can do three years in the military. You're a veteran for life, and you're a hero for life. But all of a sudden, if you, don't, if you don't spend your whole life and die on the mission field, you're a failure? What if all of our young people said, you know what, before I start a career, I'm going to go and serve God for two years on the mission field. I'm just going to go be a blessing to a family that's already over there. What if we change the way we thought about this stuff? And God says, go up, and I say, huh, that's not like what we've done before. I love when God does something different, by the way. God says, go up. Okay. By the way, I, I, hope, I hope I'm in line with the third one. Or he says, all right, now you're going to succeed. I will say I've seen God do some things that's been different that I'm very thankful for, that I think we've landed. But every time along the way, of course, I can kill myself, beat myself to death with overanalyzing. Well, I could have done this different, could have done this different, this different. But I left each place with a clear conscience saying, God, I did what you want me to do. You know, I didn't fall into sin. I wasn't doing all that. Any, uh, I did what God wanted me to do. And uh, so, so sometimes determination can lead you to a place where it'll be tested. How determined are you? Because at this point, I thought God would surely have rescued me. At this point, I thought surely God would have fought the battle for me, and yet here I am, uh, worse off than before I made a decision based on my conviction. God says, keep going, keep on going. Are we going to be like Paul? None of these things move me. Forgetting those things that are behind, I'm, I'm going to press forward. Uh, because <laughs> I'll tell you what, in those tough times, I'm pressing toward the mark harder than ever before. Because that mark is my hope. That mark is all I can do of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That, 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 that mark, uh, you know, knowing that he'll never leave me more nor forsake me. And the reality is this, it will be worth it all when we see Christ. You see? Uh, what was it in Hebrews, or Hebrews, Romans 8, I believe there, it talks about uh, um, none of this is, uh, can be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. All these, you know, th this, this suffering which is just for a little while. And it just changes our whole perspective. Having, having the mindset of Paul in Philippians 3 where he says uh, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And in those dark days, you know what I learned how to do? I learned how to pray. <laughs> in those dark days, I learned how to seek God. And it was no longer just, well, I just need to learn theology. And if I just spat off theology and, and God says, okay, now you know about me, now walk with me. Whole different thing. And so take those dark nights and take those trials and take those times when you said, well, I followed God and it seemed to fall apart. Maybe I don't even know God at all. No, no, hold on. There are dark nights. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That doesn't sound like a very happy place. Because I know that thou art with me. <laughs> Boy, how could we walk through those valleys if we 
without that promise. I'll tell you what, when this pandemic hit, especially early on, if I wasn't saved, I'd probably be freaking out like a lot of these lost people were. <laughs> you know? When the economy crashes, I might be jumping out of building like those guys. But you know what? Whether it rains, whether it shines, I know the one who holds it all. It changes everything. Lord, should we go up? Well, it cost you last time. It cost you 18,000 men. Lord, should we go up? This time it cost 22,000 men. And you can equate that to whatever. $22,000. Lord, should we go up? Yeah, go up this time. This time it's going to go good. By the way, I don't need the promise. I just need the direction. That's determination. And so as we consider these character traits, we realize my determination is going to be based on a conviction that God has given me from his word that allows me to go forward. God, I'm going to do this, not because it feels good, not because uh, I can afford it, not because, but because you said so. And I'm going to go forward. You see? And we begin living our life by principle versus by circumstances. Situational ethics. No, I go forward. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for being out tonight. And uh, let's, have a, let's have a word of prayer. We'll dismiss. Lord, we thank you for our time together and thank you for this wonderful group that I can just be open and transparent with. And, and Lord, I pray that something that was said tonight would be an encouragement, maybe if not today, down the road, as we will run into roadblocks. We will run into what may be perceived as failure. But Lord, if we fail in your will, You've got a plan for that. You've got something that we don't even understand or know. And I just pray that we would just base these decisions on convictions and not on what-ifs. Lord, I pray that you help every one of us to grow in the area of determination and conviction, to know what your Word says, and to go forward on that. We love you, Father, and we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.